please remain calm. Second episode of the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. We're back at it again. And um, here we are. It's, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to dive in. I want to know some of your high level thoughts on this bad boy. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. But uh, there is a lot of uh, a lot of good information in this episode, which I like. Yeah, man. A lot yeah. of a lot hey, of uh, you know, uh, in 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 spoken as you would imagine, it would be spoken to someone who is dumb, right? Like like <laughs> right. Uh, like Sherbina says, pretend I am a dumb dumb, uh, and I appreciate <laughs> that because I think this part as we as we have done the setup, as we have done the let's get everybody interested and excited about this craziness. Now it's time to see exactly how people are going to respond. Now it's time to wrap our head around what the danger is, how we can make that danger something that we can sort of wrap our heads around by way of giving us, uh, you know, uh, it is like, imagine it like this. We'll break it down in the layman's terms for you. Which I really right. appreciate and uh, tight. It's a it's a tight, tight, well crafted story so far. Obviously, as it's dealing with a lot of reality here and some fiction, but as it's dealing with a lot of reality here, it's uh, it's nice that we don't have to meander too much on that stuff. But what what were your overall thoughts on? Please remain calm. Honestly, man, I feel like this this episode this is the one that it is reality hitting the rest of the world, like everybody outside of the actual power plant of Chernobyl, and even some of the people who are inside, reality comes crashing down about like how serious this actually is. Because, you know, it, it got me thinking about the end of last episode where we were actually introduced to Legasov, and he's just getting the call like, hey, there's been a slight accident, you need to come be on this commission. And he's just like, okay. Like, he still has no idea of what it really is. And getting to watch his face as he reads that report before stepping into the commission and him very much so being the only person in the room who truly understands what this means and having the whole burden of the world of like, I, I need to be an alarmist right now. Like, I love how much that word gets tossed around here. Like, don't be an alarmist. Don't be a reaction. It's like, sometimes you, you have to be somebody. Sometimes somebody's got to ring the bell. Um, and that's what we really see here with you know, Emily Watson's character, uh, and, and, you know, Legasov starting to come together, they're the ones who are going to have to ring the alarm bells for the whole world. Nobody else gets the full picture. And I, and I love how this episode, kind of like you already said, it, it finds a way to very engagingly explain at least the overall bird's eye view basics of a nuclear reactor and like how how this radiation is going to get out. Um, and, and I think what's so cool about that too, kind of getting across the real danger of it and dispelling the fantasy of it. Because I think a lot of times when people hear the word just nuclear, they're like mushroom cloud, like nuclear explosion. That's what that means. And if you don't see that, you're like, oh, then I guess it must be fine. <laughs> there wasn't a fucking nuclear explosion that took out three cities. So I guess it's okay. And I, I love the actual es- experts having to step up and be like, it is absolutely not okay. And this is why. And we're going to explain it to a way and you explain it to you in a way that's actually interesting and, and comprehensible. Uh, even though it's the basics, it's fucking cool, man. They found a, a way to make explaining a nuclear reactor. Um, I don't know the most popular show on television right now. Got so, it. Yeah, I, I'm fucking impressed. Yeah, they use. Uh, I, I, pardon me, and I struggle with this. I, I do not have an English degree, but I struggle with metaphor and analogy. I think, I think analogy is a very, much more explicit comparison, whereas 
they use metaphor in this, right? To, to sort of like, it's like bullets. That's, right. that's metaphorical talk, right? Not analogy talk. If I'm not well, you know, in a way, it's actually not even metaphorical. Because when they're talking about the actual, I mean, it, it's hard. It still feels abstract because it's just so small. But it is the literal, the particle, the atoms of you know the nuclear material itself are doing physical damage to you and okay. boring. So it is more. It is they more, are, So you'd say more, it's analogous, yeah. whereas metaphorical examples require a little bit more, like a creative liberty. I guess you'd say. Right. And okay. Even, and that's right. honestly what's. What's so fascinating about that is how it's like, it's so small. I mean, we, we don't think about subatomic size very much in, right. in our daily lives, I would say. And that's so small that it's it's hard to even imagine, which makes it feel abstract, but it isn't. Like, it is actually what these are. Very cool. So, to to <laughs> to to finalize my point on this is that the metaphor, uh, the analogous... Uh, uh, comparison to to bullets is really cool. I think it helps people understand exactly what's going on here. Um, so much of this is challenging because it's invisible. We don't see it. So totally. we're trying yeah. to wrap our heads around the concept of it. And since we don't have a background uh, in nuclear physics enough to understand <laughs> we it. sure don't. It's good. It's good to have the episode do this for us, which I appreciate, uh, which is really cool. And there's a, a lot of a lot of that stuff I'm looking forward to talking about in focusing some of our attention on. But uh, what what do you think of the beginning of this? This is a, a poem by Konstantin Simonov. Um, it's interesting that they decided not to hit you with any subtitles. They did not translate it. They just let it play. Right, right. And and I, I'll admit, even though I, I ended up kind of liking that they chose that, on first viewing, I really was just kind of waiting for the, at least the final line to come out in English or something. Yep. Um, and, I, and at the end of it, I mean, especially on a second viewing, I was like, you know, since they, they committed to it being spoken in English and people not trying to do Russian accents and everything, I think adding these moments of just the reality of a, of a Russian person speaking in, in, in their native tongue and in their voice, it's good to find opportunities to kind of use that and, and spritz that real, that honest-to-God reality in here. And also, I mean, just that you can... It makes you realize how much you glean from hearing something just from somebody's intonation, just their tone of voice. Like, you understand kind of the tone of this poem just from how he's saying it. It right. sounds mournful. Yeah, it's... Um, I guess uh, I found it here. I didn't write the whole thing. Did I copy and paste it? I did not. Um, it Aww. is. It's called "To Alexei Surkov," um, who I guess must be another poet. But it's um, it's post July nineteen forty one invasion of Russia by Germany, and uh, it just kind of it's just sort of like an, an homage to uh, the makeup of the Russian people and the land that you care about, despite it maybe being plain and things of this nature. And uh, it's just uh, it's one of those types of poems, basically. Mm. You can read it. it. If you just look up Konstantin Simonov, Konstantin with a K, and you look up the poem called To Alexei Surkov, you can read it if you're interested in that. Nice. Yeah. I guess you'd say it's a, a testament to uh, a, a poem, of course. So, of course, there's going to be a bit of romanticizing. We always seem to romanticize things in our, uh, in, in our prose. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's essentially a, a testament to the 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 will and the strength, the desire to uh, sort of overcome, I guess you could say. That's the gist I got from reading it. Cool. Um, not I didn't a, want to read that now. Not a, not a, uh, not, not much of a, 
a poet myself, so maybe I'm not <laughs> that, interpreting it correctly. So but, I enjoy reading it. But we but. do we we jump right back into the story, Matthew, and we jump right back in seven hours later. So it's eight thirty AM, April twenty sixth. And we get this moment of a dosimeter alarm going off, uh, which I love. I love this. Oh, yeah. I love the introduction of, I believe her name is Yulana. Yes. Uh, Ulana Komyuk. Yeah, I think they pronounce that with a U sound. Ulana. Um, <clears throat> and she is, she's one of the only characters that is not technically a real person. Uh, you know, they based her very much, you know, the things she says. She's a conglomeration she of people. Exactly. Like they, 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 fi- they basically tried to find a way to tell the actual dialogue and the actual contributions of just tons and tons of different scientists who were working on this in a more concise way. And they just, you know, they, so a lot of the things she says and does, real people definitely did. Right. Uh, but they just framed it all in this one kind of composite character. That makes sense but, when you're trying yeah. to maintain a narrative that you don't want to get overly confusing. Right, right, right. Which you're already you're already dealing with a complicated, still to this day, mysterious nuclear disaster that's hard to even explain. I'm like, I definitely understand wanting to to keep your narrative just a little more focused, right? And a couple of yeah, people, yeah. And you get an act, an actor, actress, whatever, and you and we can start to follow this very intimate discovery that she embarks upon, and it keeps us engaged versus bouncing around to multiple scientists making phone calls, figuring it all out. I mean, that's we're trying to keep the story tight, and I think it was a good yeah. choice just from a show-running perspective. Right. If that makes right. sense. No, there's th- – what I love about her introduction here, too, you know, even her her you know lab partner comes in and he's like, oh, you know, you've been – you're working too hard. You're sleeping at your desk. And sure. You know, she's like, why are you here? He's like, I work too hard, you know. Uh, and it, it seems light for a second, but the moment that that dosimeter, you know, starts, you know, ringing off, they each kind of jump to attention. They start speculating about what could that be. Uh, and I like how very quickly she takes action. Like, it's not a – all right, well, maybe we should call somebody like, nope, I'm going to go ahead and take a simple from the window, take it downstairs, put it under a, you know, uh, a microscope and, and figure out what this is, like what is setting off our alarm. And like we, and within two minutes, they know what this is from. Right. Yeah, it's some kind of spectrometer or something of the sort. And uh, yeah, it's, it's telling her what she needs to know. <laughs> and uh, she, when she realizes... I believe the element involved, she goes, oh boy, this can't be good. Oh, yeah. Iodine-131, I believe, is the exact uh, item, which means it's decay from U-235, which is a type of uranium. Of course, something that we know, as we're going to learn, is unstable because of the amount of neutrons in the atoms, I guess you could say. And that's something I was kind of learning about, just that part of it, which we'll get to when Legasov is breaking it down which I thought was really fascinating. The idea of an element being unstable as a result of a bad composition between, what is it, uh, electrons, neutrons, and what's the last one? Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. Protons, protons. It's proton, neutron, electron. Proton, sweating. Proton, neutron, electron. I remember that shit at least. That's about all I know though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, other than Hot that they, they fly around and fuck and stuff they orbit that's what i know that's my extent but they my point into each other my point is is that i guess when there's too many neutrons it causes this instability which is why you don't just walk up and fuck with uranium 
Mm-hmm. And that's why your Diet Coke always flies out when you shake it, I think. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same thing. Is this it <laughs> when you do, principle. isn't this like baking soda and like Coke and you do the lava, right? Sure, Bina's just like, it's like the volcano I made in third grade, huh? <laughs> they like to get up against the wall, comrade. Because you are too stupid <laughs> too to <dumb>. continue. <laughs> You're but, just too um, dumb. Yeah, in, like, in, in this, this the drama here, this is good storytelling, the the making the phone call to Chernobyl and oh, yeah. and the phone just being left on the desk, no answer. No one's picking up. Like it'd be one thing. Like I'm sure if she if there was if there was like a full blown conspiracy at this point, they were trying super hard to cover it up, which obviously they were in a lot of ways. But if they had you know routed all of Chernobyl's calls to you know some government office and a guy picks up and says nope nope everything's fine and just hangs up, I think. Even then, they'd be like, mm, every power station's okay, but we have this much in the air, something's wrong. Like, they are too intelligent to be tricked at this point, but I just love the fact, and this was true, I, evidently this did actually happen, that they had tried to call the Chernobyl, you know, the actual phones, and it just no one picked up. It just was never yep. answered. Yep. And that's- Did you listen to the podcast? Fucking unusual. I did, I actually I listened can to the episode. <laughs> uh-huh. Picking up on them Craig Mason facts. Yeah. So yeah, nobody answers at Chernobyl, which is really creepy. And we have this hard cut to the hospital, I believe, in Pripyat. I like to say that quickly and loudly. Pripyat! It's fun, Pripyat! It's fun to me. It's kind of like a Klingon. It seems like a Klingon word for, for some reason. Pripyat. So the hospital is overwhelmed. Um, there's an IV shortage. There's just, generally speaking, problems. It's bad. It is fucking bad. Yeah, um, they they don't have enough iodine, which is you know uh, again learning huh, from Craig's podcast that that's the basically one of the only things you can take to at least keep your thyroid gland from just sponging up a ton of radiation. Right. Uh, so I guess you know helps you internally a little bit, but you know we're talking a level of radiation that's like even that's like yeah, it's putting a bandaid on a pretty open wound. Yeah, they they talk a little bit about that as it goes on, but I I love the idea like. The, the the contaminated clothes, guy, guy using oh milk. Like, what are you doing? You don't <laughs> even use milk doctor. on regular births, dude. No, <laughs> no. Um, but I loved, oh God, what a shocking moment when, you know, the one doctor realized, like, wait a minute, they're still just sitting here in their uniform, sitting here in their clothes. Like, these clothes are irradiated. We shouldn't even have them in here. And, like, what a shocking, just powerful image of them all marching downstairs, dumping these irradiated clothes with their bare hands into some, you know, storage room. Uh, and there they sit. That's it. But they're so fucking irradiated that even their hands are burning from it. That is bananas. So terrifying, man. Yeah. It's like an invisible poison just all over everything. Everything. Can't ever get rid of it. But that's something it's, that's, that's always like what's so hard to appreciate about just the chaos involved of, of these types of devastating situations. Imagine the hospitals surrounding the towers, right? Just the chaos oh yeah. and the, like the, 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 the triage you'd have to set up or, you know, the, when, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, same thing. It was like, okay, uh, what are we going to do now? So you, you have all of this madness, all of this chaos and, People right. going the where they want to get help, and as you'd imagine they would, and the staff doing everything they can to assist these people coming in with with tissue damage, cellular damage, beyond the average person's expertise at the hospital. 
In fact, probably most of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's like in, incredibly specialized. Uh, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure chelation therapy is something that you could maybe do for radiation. Like that's, I know for a lot of like heavy metals and and like um, mercury exposure, like uh, that kind of therapy is that has to be done. And that's like an extremely specific, intense uh, chemical therapy to get that out of you. And I'm like, I'm sure most just regular old fucking hospitals who deal with stitches and broken bones and surgeries don't have shit like that just ready to go on mass. I, I've never heard of salatia, did you say? Salation therapy, yeah. And I don't even know exactly like the mechanics of it, but that is like the only way to remove like seriously heavy metals from your system, like mercury and like heavy duty mercury exposure. I know is one of the main things it's used for, and I think it can also be used for radiation exposure to a certain degree. Uh, like, I, 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 like we think with these guys, I'm like, Ugh, I don't know if there's anything you can do for somebody who was like, I just put the piece of graphite in my mouth. Interesting. Like, fuck. Got it. Any idea how to spell that? C H E L M Y off. <laughs> C-H-E-L-L-A-T-I-O-N Okay, got it, cool Shalation <laughs> Shalali Just knock it, knock the piss out of it With <laughs> your old shalali <laughs> To walk it out here We give it a shalali shampoo as they say um, So <laughs> Let's get to uh, The Legazov meeting With uh, the committee and of course Our man Old Gorby and, uh, oh, of course, Lord, the introduction of Skarsgård as Sherbina. Ah, he's so great. But, uh, I mean, obviously, we're not really breaking ground by suggesting that the likes of Jared Hallis, Harris, Selen Skarsgård, Emily Watson are great actors. <laughs> it's pretty... <laughs> yeah, shocker. They're Whoa, very crazy. competent. Wow. <laughs> Regale us with your insight, Dean. But um, <laughs> it, it's just... This kind of stuff is is impressive to me, Um this type of reading a paper and reacting oh, away and realizing that these people, that this is, there's so much going on, I think, in this moment with with uh, Legasov on the couch, which is, oh, th- put yourself moment. in his position, if you can, just for a minute, which is, mm-hmm. you know who you are, you know what your expertise is, you know that this person, Shurbina, who is a powerful man, we get the impression, is dead wrong and has, and, and it's not because he doesn't know any better. Well, well it is. It's not because Sherbina is, is attempting to be deceptive, right? Like and, and he's not in denial. He's just getting these reports from these guys and he's going, Oh, they must be telling the truth. <laughs> right. And yeah. now he's going to present it to Gorbachev. <laughs> like we're going to tell the fucking main guy, right? Old Stainhead himself. Oh yeah. We're going to tell him what's going on and now you are suddenly in the position where you have to tell him how wrong he is and how everyone in this room is going to push back on you on this and now this is your life. I mean, and just you you you're, you're about to enter the room. First of all, you're already involved in a in a life-changing a, 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 a continent-changing event. Now you have to put yourself out there by sitting in front of these men who we've sort of established the way this is probably going to go in episode one. And now you're dealing with repercussions for the rest of your life. Oh yeah. In the way you're going to challenge these guys. 
And just the fact that like the atmosphere of the room right now is obviously still nervous. Everybody is aware that a an accident has happened, but uh, Sherbina is even you know he, you can tell he's got that fucking politician charm about him. Where he's like you know it's like I've been told it's like an exposure to a chest X ray, and he's like he's basically rounding out his talk of things are under control, everything's fine. Like everybody's finally gotten a, a nice little pep talk here and even Gorbachev is like all right well it seems like it's in good hands if there's nothing else we're adjourned that's that and yeah, you have to yeah. be the guy who's like actually it's nothing but bad news guys it's right. really not everybody sit back down eat your fucking vegetables it's nothing but shit like it's really bad and Skarsgård is great here because does he not Skarsgård's portrayal of this Boris Sherbina character is really is really compelling uh, I don't oh, yeah. know much about the Sherbina person in real life because I'm not reading like that because I'm I don't want to know like what happens. So, but um, oh, I I kind of spoiled some stuff like that for myself. Whoops. So so with, <laughs> I, I'm, I'll hold. Yeah. So with Skarsgård's portrayal here, what I like about this is, as you said, there is uh, there is a politician's charm to him, but there's also this sort of militaristic menace in him too. In, uh, oh, absolutely. In, in boy, yeah. is that a nice, beautiful blend for a powerful Russian politician. Like, I, I, I get the impression that he's playing this guy in a way that it's just perfect for the way this character is written. Whether or not it's based on the real guy, I don't know. But I like this, man. I like this menace with a hint of charm. Oh yeah, absolutely. He knows his audience. He's like that's his specialty versus you know uh, Legasov's specialty. You know he's good with people and knowing his audience, knowing how he can intimidate, knowing when he can lighten the air. Like he's he's good, man. Right. All right. Let's see. We have um, basically some of the facts here. Is like you said the the way the the way the briefing goes down is right. It, it's it's sort of like business as usual, just another day in the office. Chernobyl stable, the region secure. General Pikalov is on scene. No more than three point six rotgen, equivalent to a chest X ray, as you already said. And uh, Legasov has to be the guy, man. Right? Absolutely. And I love how I love how he contradicts that whole the using the three point six rotgen. He's like that. That number's been bothering me. That is not the equivalent of a chest X-ray. It's about the equivalent to 400 of them. But that's not even the main reason it's bothering me. He's like, that's just the number they gave us because that's the maximum their decimeter could read. He's like, we have no idea how much it actually is. Right. And that's when he points out it could be about 4 million chest X-rays. I mean, to go go from a chest X-ray to 400 to 4 million in a conversation where Gorbachev is like, I'm about to get out of here, bang a couple of Chechenian prostitutes, <laughs> call it a, a fucking, fucking day. day. But now I got to do this. So this is crazy, right? <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the graphite on the ground, there's only one place in the entire facility where you'll find it, the reactor core, and this means it's open. Ugh. And that's when Shurbina says, well, that's not what Brukhanov said. Oh, <laughs> Brukhanov, you fucked up, oh. dude. You fucked up labor camp time, Brukhanov. <laughs> but um, Gorbachev wonders why he's contradicting party officials. I love that question. That's just indicative right. of this chain of command, which is why are you contradicting party officials? He's clearly, Legasov is clearly not a party official. Therefore, his opinion is a little less valid until right. he starts offering irrefutable evidence or at least. Absolutely. 
what he believes is irrefutable evidence, right? He talks about the RBMK, uranium-235 is the fuel. And like you, we were alluding at earlier, every atom is like a bullet traveling at the speed of light, penetrating everything in its path, which he goes on to illustrate. Each gram of uranium holds a billion trillion of these bullets, and that's only in one gram. Chernobyl has three million grams on fire. Okay. Now, so insane. He then he then gets into math that I don't understand. We're talking to the power of bullshit. Three million billion trillion bullets. Are I think in I read that's uh, octillion at that point. <laughs> three octillion is what that actually. Is. <laughs> that sounds like a race that's dangerous in Star Trek. So it works for me. <laughs> right. The octillions. The octillions are here, and they want our women. In our in our thyroids <laughs> <laughs> to completely soak our thyroids in poison. Bullets in the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. Most of these bullets will not stop firing for a hundred years. Uh, uh, um, uh, some of these bullets, but most will be fifty thousand years. I mean, those numbers are insane. Uranium two thirty five is the fuel. An atom is a bullet. There are a billion trillion in a gram. There's three million grams. Start to do the math, and it becomes a dire, a dire. <laughs> uh, what am I trying to say? What's the word? Uh, precognosis, I guess you could say. <laughs> precognosis. <laughs> oh fuck! I- prognosis. <laughs> prognosis. <laughs> so anyway, he goes Pre-cogs. fifty. Yeah, precom department of. <laughs> Dog water. Murder. So <sighs> Gorby's like, all right, so go to the reactor. No, oh no, dude, the line take right the here, guy. I love I love this so much where where Gorbachev actually kind of tries to to pin him on this for a second to see how he reacts. And this is the moment where Legasov kind of like stands his ground in a way that I think works really well. Cause he's like, So you're saying you've deduced all of this from the description right. of a rock. In here, because that's that was the detail that stood out to him when you know the firefighter picking up a piece of smooth black mineral, and he's like, "That's graphite, and that means the core is open, and that means all of this." Um, so he's saying, just because of the description of this rock, you've come to all these conclusions, and he's just like, "Yes, right, like yeah, that's how fucking confident I am in that." And that's when Gorbachev actually pauses and is like, "Well, all right, Trevina, you're going to go there, and you're going to take the gas off. You're going to look at it yourself." Yep, and directly report back to me. To which, of course, Sherbina says, a wise decision. <laughs> but of course. Mm-hmm. He's so grizzled. I love him in this. Ah, Stellan Skarsgård, man. That big fucking scary Swede. Yep. So good. But th- this continues. I like I like that the episode's like, we're going to give you a lot of this sort of in back-to-back scenes. I think that was a good choice for us to sort of wrap our heads around a little easier. Right. You know, and just in kind of a meta sense, there is... I like that the show kind of risked getting into some of the actual details and the description of the workings. Right. You know, at least like the foundational principles of how a nuclear reactor works. Because in truth, like I think I think a lot of like writers or, or, or you know producers in Hollywood would hear in a pitch that all right, and in this scene, they're gonna actually talk about how a nuclear reactor works and be like, oh, that's boring science shit. That's gonna turn people off. But I think it's actually so mysterious, and all of us as regular people 
mostly know very little about that, that hearing somebody put it into a way you can understand is actually fucking interesting. It is and, very and interesting. Yep. You're like, oh, I've never really heard. Because I mean, honestly, and being 100% honest, maybe I'm a dumb dumb, but maybe I'm just like everybody else. I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, so they a nuclear power plant produces electricity still through steam. It's just the fuel instead of like a coal fire to to, produ- to heat up that water is a nuclear fuel. I was like, oh, that's right. what that, I didn't, I never really understood that. Yeah, the difference is one's coal and one isn't. Exactly. One's nuclear. It's just the fuel. And he kind of breaks Source it down, right? He says the electricity, you know, the, the reactor makes electricity with steam. The steam in turn turns the turbine, which generates electricity. Great. We know this. Now your regular power plant does this with coal. A nuclear plant uses fission. Oh, yeah. So we go back to our uranium-235. It has too many neutrons, he explains, which makes it unstable. Bullets are flying off of the uranium, right? If we put enough of those uranium atoms close together, the bullets from one atom will eventually strike another. The force of this impact splits that atom apart, releasing a tremendous amount of energy or fission. The neutrons travel so fast that they are in something called flux, which means it's relatively unlikely that the uranium atoms will hit one another. In RBMK reactors, we surround the fuel rods with graphite to moderate this flux. Great. So that all makes sense, which makes us go, well, then how does it happen? Right? Which I'm assuming we're going to get to by the end of the series. But that's a cool way to think about it. You know, we don't, when we think of all these things, we forget that, you know, we have uh, these atoms with uh, uh, subatomic particles rotating around them. And it's crazy. Like it's utter bananas to think about the way some of this stuff is right. Some of the perfection of some of these things (laughs) makes you go, we're in a fucking simulation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's just, it's crazy to think too, that like the mechanics of how radiation even, you know, hurts you, kills you is that those neutrons, you know, the, the uranium is such an unstable element that even down to its atoms and the neutrons are flying around and it's just like carving through you. Like it's carving through your flesh at a fucking atomic and subatomic level. Right. Because it's just the most unstable thing. And now in terms of, so that's, that's sort of like the math part of this, right? The science and the math part. But what I really like about this moment, and somebody said it in the chat here, who said it? The entire helicopter ride is amazing in establishing the characters. That's from Matthew Lewis. Yes, I agree 100% with that. What I like about this is I like that we see that Sherbina is the first guy that we've been introduced to outside of Legasov that is willing to listen and he shows competence and understanding. Right. And right. I love how at first, uh, I, I honestly, he changes more than any other character in this episode. Like, sure, sure. He starts out still pretty reluctant. Like he's open to it too. I think he's open to it in the very pragmatic sense of, I will listen to you to get enough information to fucking do the job. Like, let's just, let's figure out what we need to do and do it. Like that's kind of his only beginning. But as time goes on, I think, him as a character is so interesting because he starts to really see the truth of it and understand the truth of it and start to open up more to like, all right, well, we're going to have to look at this steeper. Yep. Good stuff. So I like the little, uh, I like, (laughs) I like the reminder, which is good. Now I know how nuclear reactor works. I don't need you. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's where he's still at right now. He's like, I just want to shake you off, nerd. (laughs) 
Um, we get a quick look in on the hospital. We go back to our friend Ludmila looking for her husband. And um, she ends up getting, I guess you'd almost say a hall pass from Major Burov to go to Moscow, which apparently is where he was transported. That's so crazy. And the way this guy seems at first, you're thinking like he's not. He's just like, I'm. my head is fucking deep in paperwork right now. I have a million people just like you. I don't care. But he gives her that pass. Like, yep, yep. He's being transported. Go on ahead. Tell him I sent you. Yep. I'm curious to see how that goes. I know. Evidently, and the one thing I heard, you know, probably partly from the podcast and from uh, stuff I've been reading, that this story of these two individual people um, is extremely accurate. Like the, that the, the events, how they play out are pretty much how it happened in real life. Cool. So that makes me both excited and nervous. Like, oh God, I hope it, <laughs> it works out okay. <laughs> Because this definitely happened to actual people. Right. Um, this is, uh, we flash back to the helicopter ride, and I and I just love this stuff. I love this, is, yeah. this man. Fantastic. Again, a time where Legasov, a, a man who probably doesn't have to fucking lay down the law like this, knows that he's the only person who understands what's happening well enough to be like, you cannot do this. I, I'm basically forbidding it. Sure. Like, I, I'm going to have to get across to you how dire this situation is because the helicopter pilot is initially ordered by Sherbina to go right over the plume. Like we're going to look down into the reactor. That's what Sherbina says. I was told there to come look. I'm going to go look. I'm going to look straight down in it. Right. I love that we have a moment with the Legazov character where he is seeing something he's never seen before that he knows a lot about. Like exactly. this is pretty fascinating. Yeah. This is this is like discovering dinosaur bones or something, right? <laughs> the first totally. time you unearth something that you've studied and thought about your whole life, and then you're you actually see you you're we're witnessing this very right. thing, and then it's cool to watch the expertise, the knowledge, uh, the education, sort of all play out as he just says, "I've seen enough." <laughs> he knows immediately. That and remember, he doesn't have YouTube. He doesn't have. No. He doesn't have Google. He doesn't have Wikipedia, right? To, to have seen these secondhand. This is something he's going. Whoa, man! I have seen oh, enough. I know the color. I know what's going on here. I see the radiation is ionizing the air. You're gonna beg for the bullet if you fly over that opening. Oh man, so good. And that's even after he had told Trevina, he's like, we'll be dead within a week if we fly directly over there. Right. And Trevina's like, fly over it or I'll have you fucking shot. And that, that's like what you said, where he's like, you'll be begging for that bullet, man. It's going yes. to be worse. Yes. Excellent. But then so um, Sharina relents. And again, I, 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 he's outside of Legasov. He's one of the most compelling characters so far. Oh, he's great. Yeah, there's just something about him. There's something about watching he he is he's not an enemy he's not a roadblock he's not a denier he's not he's not an officious sort of jag off right right, right. And, I, and i think right here he in his mind in this moment he's genuinely thinking you're just scared and i want to get the best look that we can get i i want to i want to understand what's going on and i think in in his mind you know i think he comes from it's mentioned later on that he kind of had worked in like mechanical engineering or factories and so i, I could totally understand from his like point of view from just his life experience that we have to get a good look at this thing. Like you literally to look at it, we need to understand it. Um, and it's it just, it's just like an unfathomable 
possibility for him of we can't even go look at it. That's too dangerous. And I, I, like I said, I think he thinks that Legasov's scared. And he's like, no, fuck you. We're just going to go look. Right up until the end. Right up until that moment. Yeah. When he sees how truly, you know, Legasov means it. Especially when he tells him they'll be dead in a week. I mean, that's... And, and there, remember, he... <laughs> Shireen is working off of the information that we have, which is one of the things I like about his character is that he's getting the information as we're getting the information as given to us by Legasov. That's why the Legasov POV is is interesting, but we can't relate to it as much as we can say Shirbina because we don't know. We're learning as he is learning. And in the things point. right, in the things he just learned are now bouncing around in his head like unstable neutrons, right? They're starting to bounce around in his right. head and he's thinking to himself, holy shit, 44 4 million chest x-rays. Like he's, I can only imagine the things he's thinking about having just gone, gone to this meeting with this guy where he's learning this information and, uh, and what's really, what he's truly thinking. And that's, uh, it's fun to entertain that, those thoughts. Right. Where his thought process is taking him. So we go to Minsk. Minsk, to the party headquarters of Minsk. Mm, yes, everything's a party headquarters. It's a party. <laughs> and we see government in action. <laughs> this fucking uh, this guy. This fucking guy. Oh, and this is why no one likes scientists. That's why, every, that's why everybody I hear talking about how they want to be socialists and commies are all people who don't do anything. They have no jobs. <laughs> They just want to be given the office. <laughs> this the guy, at least, this, at least this guy fucking sold shoes. <laughs> <laughs> sold shoes, probably clubbed a couple people. Uh, why, wait, so why did the Soviet Union not work? I, I don't think I, I'm not seeing any connecting dots here. <laughs> but uh, I like how he says scientists, no one likes them, they spread fear. Right. What a crazy right. thing to say to her, right? Oh, absolutely. And that's, oh, uh, that's just, that's too fucking real as far as like, ah, some shit just doesn't change, huh? That like nobody wants to be told bad news, even if it's utterly urgent, actual, real, factual bad news that we need to address. And they're like, well, right. you're just scaring everybody, rounding everybody up. Come on, I don't want to hear about this. Ugh, gross. I like my opinion better than yours because it's more comfortable for me is essentially what he's saying. Right. He's like, I've been assured there's no problem. And she's saying, well, there is. There definitely is. Well, I like my opinion better. Yeah. That's where she's like, I'm I'm a nuclear physicist. Before you got here, you were working in a shoe factory. And he's like, Yeah, but now I'm in charge. As if that to means the workers anything. of the world. <laughs> oh man. As if I love that that just empty, like, well, but I'm in charge. That's mm-hmm. what the hierarchy says. I'm in here on the hierarchy, so my b- opinion matters more. Like, <laughs> come on, obviously. We like, could. Uh, What's your logical fallacy? <laughs> oh, that is a deference to authority. <laughs> uh, yes, baby. That's my guy right there. He's learning. <laughs> argument from authority indeed. Well, she urges him to distribute iodine. And, um, well, she dro- he drops it off with her, his uh, secretary. I love like, that. Hey, this, this fucker's going to die, but <laughs> you better go ahead and start taking iodine. Yep. Ugh, yep. so good. Good stuff. 
So I like this. I like I like the structure of this episode as television goes, right? We've been talking a lot about this story and some of the ideas behind it and and, and because it is based on a true story, a true event, I guess you'd say. There, there's a lot of discussion around that. But also it's important to remember that it's a television show as well and we have to talk about that part of it too, which I think we're doing a pretty good job of if I do say so myself. <laughs> but um, I think that this is well a well-structured episode in that we're seeing... We're seeing the Legasov Sherbina almost in on this inexorable collision course with what's, of course, going to be Yeluna. Uh, what is her name again? Yeluna. 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 I don't need her last name. And that's what we. And that's what we're setting up, which is cool. I like that. I like that we're seeing her information that she's gathering, her expertise, and then theirs, and 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 how they're going to start interacting. I man, whenever I saw, and we're, and we're going to that scene now. Brukhanov and Fomine waiting, and I knew my guy Skarsgård was coming. I couldn't fucking wait for this moment. <laughs> you guys I, are fucked. You don't even know it. Uh, I could not wait to observe what was going to be happening here. In the the arrogance, the scene is just so good. It's so good. Oh yeah, the arrogance. The the you know Brukhanov says here's. Uh, <laughs> There's this moment where he says, Brukhanov is talking about, uh, here's a list of the individuals <laughs> responsible, right? Here's the list of the dicks we got to smash with a hammer. Definitely not mine, though. And it's just so, you know, it reminds me of, we. by the way, we said we were going to do, a side note, we said on the next bonus we were going to do Ice Pirates. Before that, we said we were going to do uh, Rising Sun. We should do Rising Sun. Oh, you think, huh? Well, Whatever. Huh? Well, <laughs> we talked about it five times and we didn't do it. It's true. <laughs> it's true. We are fucking dangling that one. <laughs> Not as much as certain other ones that we mentioned once a long time ago that we never hear the I, end of. What are you talking about, dude? I, doesn't sound like anything to Reset me. Reset the clock. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it doesn't look like anything to me. Inside jokes you don't get if you're new here. But um, <laughs> but no, it's... um. It's a, there's a stupid line in, in that film, Rising Sun, with uh, Wesley Snipes and Sean Connery, and he's like, Americans are always concerned with the blame. And it's funny, I thought about that here when they're talking about it. The Japanese <laughs> are more interested in fixing the problem, not the blame. Fix the problem, not the blame, right? He said, that's one of his mantras in that movie. And I thought about yeah. that here, like, this guy's so concerned with, here's a list of individuals. That's one of the first things he says, which is not, here's, the, here's what's happening. Here's right. how we're we fixing. discovered, right? Right. They're so concerned like, oh, with just... staying out of the crosshairs, right? Right. And even and even at this point, you've got to imagine trying to figure out what caused, like the the, the source of the events, the the actual mechanical things that went wrong. That also doesn't matter as much. It's like you need to be looking for a solution to fucking contain yeah, it, man. Like that should be your only priority right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's so unfathomable, like. And like the irony of this whole scene too is once you know the, uh, 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 Sherbina so calls over Legasov and you know I think it's Brukhanov also is like tell us how an RBMK reactor explodes. And he's like I'm not prepared to say that at this time or to explain that. I don't know. And he's like wow. It's disgraceful, really, spreading disinformation. I'm like, you just yes. handed him a list of guys you want punished. There's probably some guys on there who like took a bite out of your sandwich one day, and you're like, fuck oh, him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, personal bullshit. Like, you're looking for a list of names to place blame on, and you're going to actually shit on the scientist who is here to figure out how to solve this horrible problem. 
Oh, and the fact that he's saying things like, you're saying dangerous things. I mean, oh, yeah. break that down for just a minute. He's not saying, even, it's not dangerous outside of, it's, it's going against a narrative that you've woven here. That's the only mm-hmm. danger. Everything else is right. suggesting we should be safe. There is no danger here, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and, yeah. and yes, I love, and this is what I love. Sherbina takes his newfound education and just blows these guys away because now their fear is, holy shit, comrade Sherbina, a powerful man, kind of knows what he's saying here. When he says, right. and they why were- did I see graphite on the roof? And that's when Pukanov just turns to foaming and says, why? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> the so immediate passing of the buck. He only knows how to shift blame. That's like uh, the only fucking skill he has. It's it, dude. Um, but I also, what I love about Shabina in this moment is that, you know, obviously this is still new information. Of course, Shabina, of he doesn't fully know it, uh, you know, understand it, the ins and outs of it. But I think he also just puts it out there to see what their reaction to it would be. Like, I'm going to just say, I'm going to ask them, why did I see graphite and see, see what their reaction is. And you can tell they're both one shocked that he would bring it up at all, but scared in realizing he's not the dolt they expected him to be when it Correct. came to this. Correct. And like they were, they were just resting on, ah, he doesn't know. So he's not gonna be able to question us. What graphite like, on the <gasps> roof? He's like, oh, maybe it's burnt concrete. And that's when he steps into Sherbina's world and he goes, now I know concrete. <laughs> oh no, I know. I concrete. love how he just says, now there's your mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a dead man. <laughs> I love uh, I love when he just says oh, thank you for your service. Uh, take them away. <laughs> just lead them away so by scary. the fucking arm. I would I I normally this stuff would drive me bananas, but I don't care when they're rounding up their own fucking scumbag politicians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh shit, fuck. that was beautiful. But uh, shit, yeah. we haven't even talked about this fucking stone cold badass general, Peekalov. or Colonel. Yeah, he's What's now. He's now. We'll do him now. Pikalov. Uh, yeah. Pikalov. So fucking good. Where he talks about we have a you know a much larger decimeter now that we could mount on a, a truck to get in there, but you know we don't have the all the lead shielding necessarily to to put it on. And he volunteers himself to go in with like less than uh, <laughs> appropriate for the situation. <laughs> you would shielding. not say optimum. <laughs> not not the best case but he fucking like that is some badass cool shit, scene, like huh? i did not expect an officer of that rank to be like i'll do it and he's like yeah put me in the truck i'll fucking drive it right up to you know the edge of the reactor you know area myself yeah and he does and uh, he reports fifteen thousand rotgen the core is oh. open like a soft breaks it down the fire is twice the radiation of hiroshima that's every hour, hour after hour, 20 hours, right? I think he break, he starts breaking it down. Oh, yeah. Hour right. after hour, 20 hours since the explosion, so 40 bombs worth by now. Yippee. <laughs> <laughs> fun, fun in the sun, kids. And as they're Jesus. escorted away, they are yelling, Dietlov, Dietlov, it was him, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was the one. No, no, get him. <laughs> Take them to the local party headquarters. Thank you for your service, your excuse. Uh, That's Uh, a euphemism. (laughs) 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 They got some fun euphemisms there. (laughs) He's led away. Your your service is greatly appreciated. That means cut off your head. Yeah, man. Well, oh boy. um, 
5,000 tons will be needed of this uh, boron, I believe, and sand, to, because this, this is Legasov's only answer for now. You can't fly directly over. And nope. uh, he urges Shabina to evacuate. Pripyat! And, <laughs> Pripyat! 50,000 people. Um, and, I, you know, I like the, the point, the obvious thing where, you know, Sherbina says at first, like, why why not water? Like, we just dump water on it. And he's like, <laughs> that will instantly evaporate. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> so hot, the water will just never even touch it. Yep. Cool little uh, scene where he's throwing back some vodka, and um, he sort of has this moment where he makes this decision to not cause panic here. He, he doesn't right. say anything. Uh, and this is, you know... It's brutal that he has to take this on individually here, but right. I, in a, also in a way, I think there's no real other choice to make here, yep. in, in a sense. I mean, like what? I mean, you could tell these two people, and they'll get away, you know, sooner. You know, maybe, maybe they might not even believe you. Maybe they start causing a ruckus, saying that you're causing a disturbance, and now you're gonna have to fucking explain the situation. Like it's one of those things where you're like, I'm gonna have to lie and be a piece of shit. But all I can really do that makes a difference is push for them to evacuate sooner, push for the officials to evacuate sooner. Right. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a gross thing to have to do. It's though. quite a moral conundrum, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. And I, uh, and I love that small moment, too, when he comes in. Had he known and, he was going to hang himself, he probably would have slipped them a napkin <laughs> with a fucking <laughs> red for the hills. Fucking run for it. Right. Uh, but dude, I love when he comes in there. It's one of my favorite, just like character moments in this episode, where he asks for the shot, and then she hands him one. He's like, I- "Actually, can I have it out of one of those? Like yeah. one of the glasses that was upside down? He's like that wasn't exposed to the air as much." And it's like, <laughs> even the nuclear physicist has that moment of like, "I know it doesn't really make a difference, but it feels better." Right? <laughs> like I, right. Just, I just want to do that. Yep. Like he knows, of all people, he knows that doesn't really fucking matter. Yeah. But it's still just the smallest thing you can actually personally control. Yeah. Uh, we get that quick shot of the dead. Uh, it looks like some sort of buck on the ground. And then we go to the helicopter scene, which is just incredible. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, so fucking dark. And these guys, I mean, how far away are they? How possibly, how far could they possibly be away? A, a few thousand meters? I mean, if, I mean, how far could they actually be? They're just standing there with the binoculars and watching this. Oh, you mean, yeah, Legasov and uh, yeah. Shabina? Yeah, just I mean, they're soaking it up. <laughs> They're a couple buildings over, like <laughs> that's well, they're like across the way. One of the things Ugh. that was uh, really incredible about uh, and illuminating uh, with the the HBO podcast, the official Chernobyl podcast, is they were saying that the other reactors people were still working. That's insane! Insane. Yeah. Like literally, Talk- just fully functioning. They couldn't turn them off. They were still providing power to thousands of people. Yeah. Just go to work. Everything's fine. No, 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 we're good. Nah, go ahead. Now, I don't know about the <laughs> you trueness. You might want to put on a cloth mask, <laughs> but uh, head into work. I, I don't know about the reality of the helicopter crash. This would be something that he would have had to have gained from speaking to witnesses. Um, True. But it's it's really intense, a very visceral moment. It just comes, he loses, he, he sort of loses tracking on where he is, and then his... his his rotary blades hit that crane cable and he's done. <sighs> and it just yeah. break. At first, you know, I watched this episode twice. And on the first watch, I thought, holy shit, is it, I mean, can the, could the, could it possibly be 
that the radiation is so intense, it's breaking down the metal and the helicopter just fell apart. I was like, that seems oh, I, so unrealistic to me. <laughs> so I watched well, I think it the again. Guy, well, I think it was just that the pilot became incapacitated by the amount of radiation and lost control of the helicopter. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure it was still the radiation and the visibility. That, that, yeah. It might even just fucking burned his eyes. Like, yeah. I mean, that is, you're right over the laser death beam of fucking, of direct radiation. In the, also wild him them losing communication with him that's when you go okay this isn't normal smoke no i mean it's breaking up your 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 radio waves are being ripped around (laughs) you can't even communicate with him as he flies over it his fucking radio is probably melting in there (laughs) yeah yeah i mean he just flew into the lightsaber of death like just (laughs) into it and they had already been telling him, like, not too close, not too close, like around the edges of the thing at yeah. most. But he just right straight to the center of it and down he goes. Yeah. Oh, what a fucking, what a disheartening moment, especially for the other helicopters within view. Like, uh, okay, our turn, I guess. Right. Shit. Yeah. Oh, it's so yep. brutal, man. And this is, dude, editing-wise, like, straight up just filmmaking-wise, maybe one of my favorite moments in this episode, just from where we cut to here, because he says, you know, to, to Legasov, is there any other way? Like, is this, is this the thing we have to do? And Legasov just looks at him and shakes his head, and, you know, Sherbina gives him a different order of, like, all right, go ahead and, you know, approach from the West. And we cut from here over to to Emily Watson's character. Yep. The the other way. The the other way that we're going to have to approach this that Legasov and Shabina both don't know yet. Yeah. That is how you And not just script, approach baby. it, but the way they're approaching it is 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 they have a, don't even have all the variables. It's a it's a hundred percent a catastrophe waiting to happen way worse totally. than already there is. Oh, which is one of the best reveals in this yeah, episode. Yeah, it's man. great. But yeah, I like this approach from the West. My guess was to try to catch some of the wind carrying the sand and boron into the reactor. Right, right. Well, the talking in code stuff here is beautiful. This is yes. Russian as shit. So Russian. <laughs> Simka, little Boris. Yeah, so just naming sort of Boris is five, Simk is 14, which is cool. So Boron is number five. And uh, is it Silica, Silicon maybe is number 14? Right, right. Which is awesome (laughs) because then she's like, oh, okay. So so she's getting information about what's actually happening there through this person that- Totally. That she's befriended. Because you know that shit is, you know, classified right now. They're not, you know, putting that information out publicly. 100% no. 100% no. But it's so good, you know. And, and I love how she says it, too. At first, she's like, they're putting boron and sand on the fire. And, you know, the, the other scientist is like, well, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. But she, what we see her do is she doesn't say anything. She just goes and pulls out blueprints and starts looking at the actual structure of the building. And then he's like, where are you going? Chernobyl. Boom. Mm-hmm. Off to the next scene, man. Fucking good filmmaking. Yep. And um, we go right back to uh, these two beasts sort of carrying the day in their scenes, right? Big time. They, uh, they're they talking about the realities here, right? Legasov and Sherbina, which is, we'll be dead in five years. Oh, yeah, and this is that something is... that Legasov says that really hits home with Sherbina. I mean, to the point where he sits down because he's coming off a doctor saying there's no need to evacuate which, of course, is just more bullshit. 
Right, right. And, you know, and of course, this I think is very much Sherpina's way of approaching and handling things. He walks in the room saying, it's looking great. 20 smooth runs of dumping the sand. It's, you know, we're, we're making some progress. Uh, and that's, you know, Legasov's only replies, there's 50,000 people in this city. They, they, they got to be evacuated. Right. That needs to happen. Um, and Trevina's, you know, in a, in a funny way, trying to look on the, the bright side. But like we've been saying, he's, he's falling into the fallacy of, of authority, deferring to authority. Uh, instead of looking at reality, you know, what does he say? Not that, oh, well, the doctors analyze the situation. No, the doctor says this is okay. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. Right, right. And that's when the phone rings. He answers it, says thank you. He then tells Legazov that a nuclear power plant in Sweden, Sweden has detected radiation and identified it as a byproduct of the fuel from Chernobyl. Oh, he then says, oh, and America now has satellite imagery of us. The whole oh, oh, and by the way, Germany's not letting their kids play outside. <laughs> and yet our kids out right here, right now, are outside playing around. And this is Legasov going, okay, I'm going to evacuate this shit. Yeah. Like, this this needs to happen now. And I think, I cannot remember who it was off the top of my head. I have to dig back into our, our listener comments. I'll find it at the end. Um, but somebody made a, a really good point as far as Sherbina's view of Legasov post this scene. Because you got to you know, imagine, like, this is a heavy, you know, brick of reality to hit you in the face when you're Sherbina, where you understand the situation's pretty bad now, and a, a, you know, a dire priority one fucking thing you have to handle but you're hit with the reality of, oh, just because I'm here handling it now, my life has been drastically shortened. Not just that, but the way you must view Legasov from here on is he knew enough to understand that this that walking into this situation, his life is going to be shortened and he has carried on. Um, like you're waking up to this reality now, <laughs> but he's known and he's still doing his job. Right. Like that, is, that has got to make you look at a person differently. Yeah. Yeah, that's intense, man. That's good stuff. So, moving on, where to next, oh. Mr. Anderson? Oh, dude, that fantastic We get to see Tom Brokaw, scene. by the way. Is that, is that what that was? I couldn't tell. It did look like it is. him. I'm I pretty sure it is. Lo- I didn't look up whether or not it was him. But No, it's Peter Jennings. Peter oh, Jennings. Jennings, Jennings, fuck. I was like, you know, I'm not sure if Tom Brokaw's hair ever was that brown. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Jennings and a bunch of the Soviet officials, Gorbachev, I think, watching the TV. Uh, but 2 p.m., April 27th, 36 hours after the explosion, we have this fantastic view of a line, uh, just an endless line of buses pouring into Pripyat as this you know couple, I guess, has like a broken down motorbike and they're working on it. I love, the, again, this is such an excellent choice of, of focus because a bus is not scary or ominous. It's it's nothing. It's a fucking bus. Like there's no, there's no way to make that strange or, or out of place. But to show the endlessness mm. of this line, one after the other, after the other, after the other, literally as far as the eye can see, that carries a weight of it. Of what the fuck could this possibly be for? Crazy. Like, I, I love how this show is able to to pull out chunks of unease and depict uneasiness and and doom so well without it really being anything. Like, the, like we, we've talked about so many times every time we cover a horror movie, like the best kind of horror is that subtle, it's, it isn't every day, it isn't a real, a, a, re, a real thing that's just turned slightly. It's just a, a off kilter. And seeing this many buses endlessly pouring into one town 
is just off kilter enough to make you feel like there's something I don't understand happening. And that's, that's what's confusing and terrifying. Crazy, man. I just typed Peter Jennings into Google <laughs> and you know, the first two things that come up, number one, ABC world news tonight with David Muir, Chernobyl nuclear disaster and um, Peter Jennings over here. And then the fall of the Berlin wall. Crazy. All this shit covered. And then, oh, lung cancer <laughs> announcement video. That's lovely. His final TV sign-off. Boy, oh boy. Yay. Great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this, uh, the, this, this sort of, we need to evacuate because of that giant, terrifying cloud in the sky. Absolutely. Everybody head on out. Uh, and they tell, they told everyone in Pripyat, evidently, that this is a temporary, where it's for a couple days, a couple we need days, to evacuate yep. you. And that's that. But, nope. They never returned. Nobody has returned to that town since. Right. It is fucking sitting abandoned. And I love, I mean, this whole sequence is is fantastic that we're we're not really hearing any dialogue. We're not seeing, you know, people really have exchanges. We're just seeing them in mass, just very quietly, very relatively quickly and easily, honestly. They're, it's orderly, uh, moving out, everyone getting on the buses, the hospital moving out. Um, and just hearing that an announcement over and over again, a Russian, you know, an actually in Russian language uh, announcement, which I think was cool to hear. Yeah, this is you know, this is what it would look like if you're standing on a roof and Pripyat watching the evacuation happen. Pretty wild. We then have our meeting with our we we get our two groups together that we've been watching the whole time for this uh, sort of final push towards the end of the episode here. That is it. Um, she briefs Legasov and Sherbina. And they, in turn, are going to brief Gorbachev. <laughs> Time to. Yep. The scene uh, is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's so fucking good. So they all, they all sit down with old Gorbs. <laughs> Gorby Gorbs. And, and um, again, even though I feel like Gorbachev before this, like... Had a uh, was awoken to the reality of the situation. Their their first meeting with you know uh, everybody, and <laughs> when he orders them off to actually go to Chernobyl, so it seemed like I remember at my first viewing, I was like, okay, well, I think he must be at least somewhat on board with the weight of the situation at hand. But I love when he comes back in the room. He's like, I'm just telling our allies how shitty our situation is. Yes. Our power is just the perception of our power, which is there's truth in that. Uh, he's not completely wrong. But at the same time, I love how he's still well, back especially, on essentially. Especially, especially back then, the Soviet Union. I mean, that was a thing. There wasn't, there was no land war against Soviets. It kind of just no. fell in on itself. Our right, perception right. comes from the perception of our power. I mean, that's pretty universally true with everything, for everyone. But yeah. especially true for the Soviets, and it's cool that he said that. But um, yeah, I like. Oh, he also says in apologizing to our enemies, which is interesting, right? Because obviously oh, yeah. he's on the horn with. Uh, Reagan and be like, dude, I, we fucked up. Sorry, bro. But anyway, <laughs> Legasov is saying, look, there's some good news, right? The airdrops are working to douse the fire. There's been a reduction in radionucleotide emissions. The fire will not be extinguished for another couple of weeks. Oh, and there's this other problem, by the way. <sighs> um, so nuclear fuel doesn't simply turn cold because not a fire. In fact, it will rise as a result of the blanket of sand we've dropped. The uranium will melt and will melt the sand, creating a kind of lava, which will begin to <laughs> I, melt through the shield below. I love how, you know, again, this is still a room full of people who are all being awoken to to the workings of, of, of nuclear radiation and how this actually goes down. But I love that the word that anybody would jump out at, that Gorbachev jumps out, is like, 
you made lava? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're telling me shit's under control, but you made lava. Dude. What? It would but be dude, funny if this... like, it just became comedic hijinks. You've made lava, comrade? Yay! Everyone starts doing Russian <laughs> dancing. They think it's like the greatest <laughs> like, thing ever. Right? They like, I was like, no, no. No, guys, <laughs> no, this finish. is really serious. No, this is really serious. <laughs> Jesus, guys. The denial but just no, dude, enters this... comedic hijinks. <laughs> It's <laughs> just completely absurd. Um, but no, dude, the, the turn here where, where I love that we as the audience, like we, we are watching uh, Ulana figuring out that there's something more to this, figuring out that boron and sand is not quite the right strategy. So we know there, okay, there's, there's something detail that Legasov is missing, but I love that Gorbachev and all of these higher ups getting to learn what that is, is the same time that we learn what this new problem is. And it is, I mean, fucking jaw dropping. I was mm. like, Oh my God, I, this is something about Chernobyl that I didn't have a fucking inkling of knowledge about. I had no idea that something like this was, was possible. Uh, and just, oh my God, this is the most terrifying this, I got scenario this. that they fucking lay out. Yeah, this this shit where Legazov basically turns it over to uh, Yeluna Kumyuk of the Belarusian Institute. Thanks for insight. We right. now are aware that the tanks are in fact full. And that's when Gorbachev, as we would say, well, with water, what's the problem? And she says, well, when the lava enters these tanks, it will superheat and vaporize 7,000 cubic meters of water, which, of course, will cause a thermal explosion. A significant you've heard of steamboats blowing up. thermal explosion. What was that? Is that? You've heard of steamboats blowing up the same principle. Well, we estimate, she says, two and four megatons. So oh. a 30-kilometer radius will be destroyed immediately, including three remaining reactors at Chernobyl. The entirety of the radioactive material in all of the cores will be ejected at force and dispersed by a shockwave, which will extend 200 kilometers and likely be fatal to the entire population of Kiev. So thanks for the buses. <laughs> as well as a portion of Minsk, right? Um, <sighs> Minsk, I'm saying it wrong. The release of radiation will be severe and will impact all of Soviet Ukraine, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarusia as well as Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, and, you know, most of East Germany. Jesus. What do you mean by impact? Gorbachev's still keeping his cool here. Right. You can tell he's shitting pants a little bit. Oh, he has his brown pants on today. (laughs) And then Legasov continues, well, permanent disruption of food and water, a steep increase in the rates of cancer and birth defects. Um, Yeah. So Belarusia and Ukraine impact means completely uninhabitable for 100 years. And that's when Gorbachev starts thinking of the logistics here. Okay, so you're telling me 50 million people? Well, 60. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what's the timetable uh, on that? Uh, 40 hours, probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, also, we're talking about completely making these areas entirely uninhabitable for a minimum of 100 years, yeah. maybe permanently destroying the possibility of growing food there. Like It's not just a, a massive disaster right now and a loss of life and a disruption of people, but a permanent disaster that is it not just it, like that's what's so also crazy about this like when you think about the worst earthquake the worst hurricane worst typhoon i mean it's terrible and it, it destroys so much but it can be rebuilt and and things can be put up against to you know you can immediately start rebuilding the next day and you can start you know putting up uh, walls you know barriers re, you know re-engineering buildings to better withstand these things with radiation nah 
It's over. That's it. You can't be here anymore. Wall off that entire God knows how much square miles of earth and nothing can be there. You get it. There is no rebuilding. You go somewhere else. Like it's just gone. That's, that's so crazy. That is such an uh, outside of any other kind of disaster that we can deal with. Salt the earth is the only equivalent. Right. Which I think was kind of apocryphal. I don't know, not a totally. historian, but I'm pretty sure I, that people didn't literally salt fields. I think it was more of an expression. I think Because I so. think most of the time they weren't going to waste salt on acres of land. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, not a historian. But um, but yeah, your point is made. Like that's the difference. The 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 remaining damage is just so ridiculous, man. So terrifying. I mean, this whole scenario, I mean, like, dude, how I knew I knew very little about Chernobyl going into this and really only knew about some of the power plant shit and just how devastating the main explosion was. Like, okay, yeah, really bad. And the, you know, nuclear radiation got out a lot. That's bad, right? This shit, man, was such a shocking revelation to me. Had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Nuclear but power is bananas, also- dude. Like, Think about like a Nimitz class aircraft carrier, like a nuclear fucking powered boat. Yeah. That is so rad. <laughs> I think they can go for like 30 or 40 years or something crazy. Let me look it up. How long can an aircraft carrier? 20 years. 20 Whoa. years without going back to port. Damn. That's so sick, man. Just going and going. Uh, 20 years. An aircraft carrier, dude. 20 years? That's <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> so nuts. You got to pull in for food. You how many times you got to fill up your dumb long. car from here to fucking California? <laughs> Pretty wild. <clears throat> well, our victories will come at a cost, right? Because this, we start to get to the point where this is going to have to be drained manually. The water has collected... Right. And there are gates holding the water there, and it's because of this whole disaster. It's you know the water collecting is just sort of a crazy thing that's going to happen. It's nobody's really to blame for this, but no, it does need how, to like, be. It does. It, it we need to drain it immediately. And I love how that that even becomes the priority over the fire and the exposed core. It is that at, we have to get this water out first. That that is now the problem, which you know is is tragic in its own way because we're going to have to just let this radiation burn off for for more time mm-hmm. until we get this you know contained the situation uh and then the other you know horrible shocking revelation here that we're going to need three men who actually worked at this facility and know the plant and can go into the basement through all of these passageways get there and manually drain out you know open these sluice gates and drain out all of the water uh, and they are for sure going to die. So we're we're gonna have to find three men. We need your permission to kill three men. Essentially, mm-hmm. holy hell! Yeah, God, that is some for God and country shit right there. That is that is the biggest ask. Fortunately, we get some volunteers. <laughs> they didn't have to put a gun on anybody, but um, I don't find that overly surprising. Right, um, it's pretty heroic shit, obviously. Absolutely, man. And uh, like, their names are Anonenko, uh, Bezpilov, and Baranov. And again, with the pronunciations, but I thought it clear to write down the th- names of these men who 
really existed and did this. Yeah. So Anilenko, Bezpilov, and Baranov. Bottoms up to those gentlemen. That is that is a level of bravery that is hard to process. Like you know, I mean, going and you know, being on the front lines of warfare is already. Yeah, I think in a lot of people's minds, the most terrifying possible thing. But I think anybody, even you know, the most hardened soldier, part of what helps them keep going is there's always the possibility I'm going to survive. Like I'm a fucking guy. I can use my actual skill and training to, you know, as my own, you know, advantage, my own shield to keeping myself alive and doing the right thing to keep myself alive. When this situation is just, no, you're going to die. Even if you're successful, you're going to die. Like you're, you're walking into just a slow, certain suicide. Yeah. 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 God, but it's utterly necessary to save tens of millions of people. There could be some denial there too, you know, there could be that. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Maybe we don't. Maybe maybe we'll be one of the lucky people that we don't get cancered out. You know, maybe the who knows. But yeah, it's pretty fucking brutal, man. There's uh, <sighs> you know you know you're ninety nine percent going on a one way fucking trip. Absolutely. It's like it's like you you know when you think about those guys just stand there. Okay, now they're going to shoot muskets at us. Okay, I'll just stand here. <laughs> Or, or I'm in this Maybe Higgins boat, you know, I opened it and, oh, okay. So I'm dead. <laughs> Fucking crazy, man. Uh, it's nuts. True. Yep. Kamikaze pilots. All right. Um, let me see here. But this is, baby, this is Sherbina's fucking moment Sherbina, right here, man. you'll this do fucking... it because it must be done. <laughs> you'll do it because nobody else can. And if you don't, millions will die. If you tell me that's not enough, I won't believe you. This is what has always set our people apart, a thousand years of sacrifice in our veins. And every generation must know its own suffering. I spit on the people who did this, and I curse the price I have to pay. But I'm making my peace with it. Now you make yours, and go into that water because it must be done. <laughs> Dude, that's my performance that is the most profoundly badassly Russian thing that could have ever been said <laughs> like holy shit that is us uh, so Russian yep. duty do it and you will die but it must be done could there have been a better guy to rip that line out oh, it's I love that he has not have one of these like English accents too it's a little bit different you know because he's a Swede Yes. Oh, he remembers Chernobyl. Did you read about that? Yes, I did. He was like, oh, we can't eat like the reindeer. We couldn't eat, Mm -hmm. yeah, like vegetables and shit for a while. That's bananas. So crazy. Yeah, because Sweden was one of the very first places that detected it. As we saw in this episode, yeah. Mm -hmm. So crazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, and uh, we kind of get back to sort of the horror roots that were set up in the first episode, right? With this closeout scene with these guys hitting the water. Oh my God. Oh, unbelievable, man. It, it's, <laughs> I couldn't, even as you're watching them stand up and volunteer, watching them get suited up and have their helmets pulled up for them and, and be all geared up and everything, you're still like, no fucking way, though. Like, holy shit, no way you're going down into the, the depth of this cracked, open, irradiated hell dungeon. You're just going to walk straight in there. And they fucking do, man. Oh, it is unbelievable. Um, why did the flashlights fail? Um, you know, I, I was puzzling about that, too. I, but I, do I didn't listen to of- the whole second episode of the HBO one. I thought maybe he would discuss it, but... I, I didn't have time to listen to it again. I don't 
think so. I listened to it, but I don't remember them talking about that. Um, but no, I, I think you know a certain amount of radi- radiation can start affecting, like like earlier with the the helicopter crash and like the the radio was going out first. Like I think it was right. frying some of the circuits. Maybe I mean I could still be off on that, but I think that's not impossible. I guess it has something to do with the ionizing effects of the radio. The ionizing radiation starts to um, break the down battery. the electronics. So yeah. it could just be severing. Know. It could just be like burning up some of the wires, just just really breaking down the wires that even connect the light, you know, just causing it to fail. And right. a flashlight's a pretty simple device. It, it doesn't seem like too much of a stretch to break down such a simple piece of equipment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty crazy, man. But, I don't know the, I just, I don't think anyone, either one of us know the exact way it happens, but it is interesting. But yeah, that, that radiation just, it's a bullet (laughs) that goes through everything. (laughs) Little tiny bullets, but dude, the, the, the visual of them headed down that, like what a great shot to choose for them. I mean, for one, I mean, I'm sure that's just kind of how the layout was, but to, to choose a shot of them descending that kind of ramp Mm. into the water, just all three of them going down. You know, th- that's it. No one, no, no backup. Insane. God, what a what a horrific possibility. I mean, the, this, the, this the also the the audio clue of the disseminator just going crazy. Oh yeah, it's just a constant. You know, it 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 goes from this rhythmic tap kind of to this yeah constant as they are just dosed the fuck out. Ugh. Flashlights fucking die. Fla- now what? Now what, dude? They must like, have, holy I have shit. no idea what's going to happen next. I don't know how they're going to find their way around. Me neither, I man. I do know that Kiev does not get destroyed, so I know they <laughs> right. succeed. <laughs> I know that's I know, that I know a massive nuclear explosion didn't happen, so I guess I have a slight history spoiler there. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, man, just that moment of you, it's, it's already a desperate situation, but now just the basics that you need to even do this job are falling apart. Right. Like, fucking, what do you do? Right. Oh, what a, what a hell of a, I mean, like they found a way to put a cliffhanger in an episode of Chernobyl about, about the, the historical disaster. We got a cliffhanger. What the fuck? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Great end to the episode and very terrifying. Oh. So pulse pounding, man. Like actually. Listener comments. Listener comments time. All right, let's do it. You first. All right. Uh, I got one from here, uh, Mr. Benjamin Prue. It's honestly amazing that we as a species are still here. We continue to play with things that are barely in our understanding, yet that is the human spirit of discovery that has made so many wonderful things in our life. The description of what a high dose of radiation can do to the human body is horrifying. Yet I think the most interesting aspect of the show is the people. Growing up in the 80s, the USSR was the bad guy. So I kind of find it fascinating that these are firemen and workers are just people. They are very much the same as we are here. They have dreams and loves, and yet, much like in our own country, it is the poor to middle class who bear the brunt of these disasters. The ability to humanize these people is a triumph of this show. Yep. Great comment, Ben. Yep, yep, yep. Good stuff. I have uh, a quite a comment. <laughs> so, Christina Chapman emailed me. Ooh. Oh, I knew this was coming. Fantastic. Okay, so so the subject matter of this is the Chernobyl Death Party Night by Christina Chapman. Hell yeah. Um, She says, 
uh, here we go. A Chernobyl story. It's a bit long winded, but I hope you guys get a laugh. It's 1986. I'm 23 living in my hometown of Hotlanta, Georgia. It's a crazy party town at the time. In fact, all through the eighties, my best gal pal is turning 20 on May 1st. It's a few days. It's a few days now that the world has known something horrific happened in Russia. One of my older friends is studying nuclear engineering and scares the ever-loving shit out of me that the Ruskies are lying radioactive particles are probably flooding Europe that will travel as far as the United States. A rainstorm could literally bring what she calls black rain, not to be confused with a Michael Douglas masterpiece. So nuclear rain all the way to the USA, that sounds bad. But hey, I'm 23, I have a party to go to. So I get to the party fashionably late. The birthday gal... And most folks are already there on Julia's Witch's Brew, which is, consists of magic mushrooms, God knows what kind of alcohol, and a mysterious <laughs> ingredient she won't tell us about. <laughs> but then again, I'm 23. I down a, comp, a cup and find a long strip of paper at the bottom. Oh, boy. What the fuck, Jules? She danced around crazily yapping. Chris got the magic cup. Chris got the magic cup. I got what? An entire cup oh. of mushrooms and acid. I begin oh. to trip my brains out. Everything is wild and fun. Then a big old southern south thunderstorm cracks the sky open. I proceed to convince everyone that Chernobyl is killing us <laughs> with black rain. <laughs> so we better party while we can. God, that sounds like a lot of fucking. I somehow talked everyone to going out and dancing in the killing rain until we all melted. I really was calmly and persuasive that we were all dying, that later my friends told me they remember being so ecstatic that we actually survived. After the cops were called by the neighbors and miraculously none of us were arrested, white girls, or melted in the black rain, someone very smartly took my keys away and I slept off the rest in a hallucinating trip. Julia told me it was a joke that it wasn't acid in my cup. Never forgave her for that bad joke. But goddamn, I have been convinced that it was. The Russians had fracked me up so badly that my young adult was going to end dancing in nuclear rain. So watching the series now is just a sobering wake-up call for what really did happen, a horrendous tragedy. For so long, none of us knew, especially a tripped-out 23-year-old that thought she got the magic cup and was going to dance in black rain until she melted. So thank you both for so covering fun. a tough series and making it bearable with your levity and ever-present wit. All right, I don't need us to get sucked off anymore, but thanks for that, Christina. <laughs> thank you. Um, oh, rock oh, out as so you fun. always do, and cheers to both of you with a magic cuss. Christina, you're a national treasure. Thank you for the email. That was awesome. What a awesome. fucking cool story. Great one. Anyone else, Matthew? Yes, I've got one from Mr. Uh, Matthew Lewis, and he was the one pointing out uh, what I was talking about earlier, the dynamic between Legasov and uh, Sherbina. Uh, he says, I don't want to get too ahead of the podcast in my comments, so I rewatched episode two. There is so much to talk about, but to me, the theme of the episode is reality overcoming denial. Totally agree. Uh, from over 400 kilometers away, we open with Ulana figuring out that there is a major issue just seven hours after the explosion. At about the same time, Legasov reads the report revealing the exposed graphite just moments before walking into the first meeting with Gorbachev and the committee members. Throughout the rest of the episode, the truth that they know is hammering through the layers of denial. Boris's path is the heart of the episode. The development of the dynamic between Boris and Legasov is brilliantly written and masterfully delivered and can't wait to hear us. Mm, 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 mm. Awesome. Yummy. Delish. Yummy. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. <clears throat> Good stuff. Well, Matthew, I think we've arrived. This is it. We've this arrived. is it. Any, uh, anything else you want to say before we go? Boy, these ones, I gotta say, Fucking take it out of me. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, it's nothing. Really enjoying it's this It's nothing so yet, so I hear. I That's what I keep, everybody keeps saying, oh, look out for episode three. <laughs> that's, four. That's the I warning think, I've, is it three or I've four? got. I really? I, a friend of mine I was talking to today, they were like, oh, it's, oh three is a fucking, it's a fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> I 
buckle up. I was like, oh shit. I really buckle can't wait. Like, Buttercup. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get off this podcast and uh, I'm gonna go watch it. Like pretty much immediately. I'm really jonesing for it. Yeah, look at you. Aren't you a fancy boy? Oh got it already. All right. Well, uh, that is it. Matthew, thank you very much for uh, organizing listener comments. I uh, appreciate that. And um, we will be back in two days to cover Mr. Brooks on the Science Fiction Film Podcast, which is uh, our first bounty of this upcoming bounty season. So make sure you tune into the live show for us to discuss that. I believe it's Kevin Costner's A Serial Killer, which is kind of interesting. Never seen it. Never seen and then, it. of course, check us out on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net. Um, we have membership options, of course, as you know. You can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content which we've been uh, putting out in spades, man. We've been putting out a lot of bonus content as of late, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, Matthew. Yes, sir. Would you like to tell these good people good night? Fare thee well and stay tight. <laughs>